what people are experiencing. And these experiences are like a window in high-definition color that can help us to imagine what heaven's like. But they're only a tiny glimpse. They don't paint what heaven is totally like at all, whether it's minutes or hours or days, but they only give us a glimpse into the very outskirts of what the next life is actually going to be like. It may take millennia to be able to explore all that there is in the next life, or maybe we never can get, it, get to know everything. But these experiences fall into one of two categories. You probably know what they'll be. One is a delightful experience, having, having uh, died, where, where people go to this peaceful place, meet a being that is incredibly loving, and, and engage with, with relatives that they've known. And the other is where people go to terrifying and ho horrific places, and they come back with, with a story that they don't ever, ever want to go back there again. And again, that just ties in with what the Bible actually says, that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Now, you might wonder, why would we do a series about death? That's sort of a bit morbid, isn't it? But it's not at all morbid because recent research has proved that still 100% of people on the planet die. So it's a very relevant topic for us to look at. And maybe you'd say, well, it's a bit distracting. We should be concentrating on love St. Albans. Maybe it's a waste of energy. I think it was Johnny Cash who one of the lyrics in his song said that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. It's kind of wandering around thinking about heaven and bumping into lampposts. But actually, if you've ever studied history, you'll know that that's the, the exact opposite is true, that the people who have made some of the greatest influence and impact into this life have been people who have been very focused upon heaven because it's propelled the way they live their life. They don't live sloppy when you have, have an understanding and a, and a focus upon heaven. C.S. Lewis said, if you aim for heaven, earth is thrown in as well. But if you aim for earth, you get neither. And until recent generations, people lived all the way back with, a, with the thought of heaven and of judgment the need that there will be accountability. We will face the king. And judgment includes the thought of rewards as well. And it's influenced the way people have lived on this planet. But we're part of a recent generation that where society has decided that they believe evolution, and therefore God doesn't exist, and therefore this life is all there is, so we can basically do whatever we want because there's no ultimate consequences. Society has been teaching us through media for 40-odd years. But this material of near-death experiences flies in the face of that sort of thinking. There is so much evidence that this life is not all there is. And so I want to share this material as, a, as really, in a way, the way of apologetics. It's not just information that is to bless us so that we can have greater confidence when we die. This life is not all there is. These stories can be introduced into conversations and they will radically change a conversation when you put it in there. Because everyone wants to know what happens after you die. Tell me the story that took place. It's just that many people have not joined the dots. But these stories are really compelling. 
And this is an example of, of one of the ways that people get to experience a near-death experience. Sometimes someone will be in an accident or other times it will be on, a, on an operating theatre and they will find themselves levitating out of their body and they're looking down and they're watching everything that's going on before. You know, during the week I was at the gas station and the, filling up and the attendant said to me, he says, what have you done with your day? And I said, actually, I've been reading for a lot of the day. I've been reading a book. He says, I, th I thought that would be the end. That's about the normal conversation I have with people in the, in the gas station. But he said, what's the book about? So I said, well, actually, it's about heaven. It's about research, about near-death experiences. Um, and he said, oh, I read a book about uh, uh, the afterlife. It was obviously written by a crackpot. So I said to him, well, these, these cases weren't um, uh, written like that. These are scientific research, and it talks about near-death experiences and people rising out of their bodies and, and then looking down and then going into a tunnel of light often and then meeting with some living light being who, who loves them so much they're just enveloped in love. And then I said to him, and the amazing thing is, this just illustrates what the Bible has always said is true, that we are eternal beings, that our soul and our spirit will live on, and that heaven's real and that God exists. <laughs> he was as far back from the counter as he could get, pressed up against the, against the um, shelving at the back there, with his eyes like saucers and his mind whirring, thinking. And he said to me, well, have a great day. <laughs> so I said, well, you have a good, great day too. And we just smiled at each other and left. These are real experiences that will absolutely make people think if we, if we put them into conversations. So let's have a look at what the Bible says. Just one of the passages about, about this transfer from this life to the next life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body. Isn't that so plain and clear in that translation? Describing us as living in a tent, and eventually we're going to put that tent aside and we're going to be clothed with something else. But the Bible has always said, from the beginning right through to the very end, this life's not all there is. This is the entree. The main course is still to come. The Bible has always said that. We are eternal. So when we die and leave this earthly body, we're going to continue to live, and we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. In other words, if you have a look at your body and say, Mark 1, you are going to get Mark 2. And it's a better body than the one you've got right now. And I've got right now. It has features and upgrades that we can't even think are going to be there. Some we can imagine, but others we'll find out when it happens how good Mark 2 is. But this is what we get. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. And while we live in these, in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Isn't that true? Doing the ghost trail. Don't, isn't there a few groans going up those, what was it, 27 Ks uphill? <laughs> 2.7 K. Uphill. Oh, sorry. 27 Ks uphill. How many want to do the ghost trail? <laughs> I do, but I'll do it on an e-bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, we groan and sigh from time to time, but we've got to look after it, right? But it's not that we want to die. Anyone agree with that? No, we, we like life and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, though, we have this inner thing that we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed by life. God himself has prepared this for us, and as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. Isn't this amazing? One of the things that tells us that heaven's for real and we're going to get a Mark II body is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit given to us. He's, He's here for many reasons, but this is one of the guarantees that we're going on. This is not all there is. So, Paul says, we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not, and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this earthly body or away from this body, our goal is actually all about pleasing him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in this earthly body. And because we understand this, our our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others, even if they're up against the shelves. (laughs) Thinking. I want to bring out several things from this passage. The first one is, as as I've already been saying, we're all going to die because we're just dust. Why don't you say you're just dust to the person next to you? You're just dust, but you won't cease to exist after we die. See, we are eternal beings. Human beings are eternal beings. Our body will die, but our soul and spirit will continue on in another state. And if you've ever been with someone as, as they've died and then their spirit and soul is gone, you can, you can see the difference in that dead body that's there. They have all the shape, they're the mother or the father or the friend that you knew, but they're gone. We're eternal beings and we're going to get a Mark II version of our body. And the third thing is the next state is better than this one. But it's hard for us to imagine. It's like, it's like if you think of yourself going back into the womb and you're in the womb there and you're thinking, this is pretty cool. I can exercise. I can punch my mother's stomach. I can do what I need to do. And we can't imagine that it's better. But the moment we're born, we're in a new realm. And that's what it's going to be like for us. It's swallowed up. This life becomes swallowed up by life. And that's what NDEs or near-death experience people tell us. They tell us when they come back, they've never been more alive. Everything's been heightened in their bodies. And then fourthly, at some point after death, we will be judged. There is an accountability. Now, near-death experiences almost always contain a life review. I'll give you an example of one today. A life review where they are asked by a being in light... What have you done with your life? But friends, that's not what the Bible talks about in terms of judgment. It's a life review, not judgment. Because as we saw last week when I was preaching out of Matthew chapter 25, 31, the judgment happens after the return of Christ. 
And fifthly, it's really important to know that in the Bible, the Bible speaks about two judgments. There's what's called the great white throne judgment, which is spoken of in that passage in Matthew chapter 25. It's also in Revelation chapter 20. It's where the book of life is opened and those who have chosen to reject Jesus Christ, they have not accepted him. Their name has, they have not asked for forgiveness. They have not repented of their sins. They will be sent to hell. The, the great white throne judgments. Christians are not judged at that, at that place. They're separated out from it. The sheep and the goats is the parable of that taking place. But what we have here in terms of, of the judgment is what's called the Bema judgment. And it's a refer- the Bema is a reference to the winner's podium in Greek Olympics where they, would, where they would give prizes to those who came first and second and third. And the fantastic thing that this scripture says is that we're all going to be on the winner's podium. Yeah. We are going to be rewarded for the things that we've done in this life. Isn't that cool? See, we're not saved by doing good works, but we will be rewarded in heaven for all the good deeds, all the good works, all the good acts that we have done in this life. They're all recorded. So let me give you a a case study um, of of a near-death experience. And every person's story is unique. I know of at least two people in this church who have told me their stories of being on the operating table, rising out of their own bodies, and going into this altered state situation um, where where they uh, die on the table and are revived. All of them are unique, and yet all of them are similar. Um, George Ritchie is the one that I want to speak about today because he's one of the first recorded um, near-death experiences and it happened for him in 1943. And he's a man who went on after he came back to life to become a medical doctor and then he gained a doctorate in psychiatry and he eventually lectured at um, Victoria University on his experiences and he began to influence the next generation of researchers to actually be asking patients and finding out what is going on and how many have had these near-death experiences. And so what I'm wanting to say is George Ritchie is incredibly credible as a witness. He also was part of the setting up of the precursor to the Peace Corps Corp. In, in the US, um, and so he's a man who has done a lot in his life. But in 1943, while he was in the army, um, being trained to go and fight in World War II, he, developed, he was in America still at this stage, and he developed double pneumonia, and he died. And he tells of waking and getting out of bed and turning around and seeing someone still in his bed. And he's thinking to himself, how can that be? I've just gotten out of that bed. How did that person get back in the bed? And he didn't have any clothes on, so he's looking for his clothes, and he wanders out into the hallway, and there's a staff sergeant coming down the hallway, and he's calling out to the staff sergeant and talking to him, and he doesn't, the staff sergeant makes no, makes no impression on him whatsoever, and he walks right through him. And then he finds himself running flat out as fast as he possibly can. And then he realizes he's not just running faster than he's ever run before. He's, he's low altitude flying. And he's at a height where he can look down and see streets. And he travels for quite a distance. He finally sees a, a tavern, a pub. And he goes down there because he sees a person there. And he tries to talk to this person and engage them and, and, and get some feedback from them. They can't hear him. And he, he finally twigs. Maybe I'm dead. 
And so he turns around and he goes exactly back to, to where he was, as fast as he can travel. And he looks for himself and he finds his body with a sheet up over his head on the bed. And he says that at that point, the realization that he died just hit him. And then the room suddenly starts to glow. And this is what he said. I stared in astonishment as the brightness increased. Coming from nowhere, yet seeming to shine everywhere at once, it was impossibly bright, like a million welder's lamps, all blazing um, at once. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I don't have physical eyes. This light would destroy the retina. No, I corrected myself, not the light. He, he, he would be too bright to look at. For I saw now that it was not light, but a man. A man made out of light. Can we just have that next slide? Um, just go on another one. The instant I perceived this, a command formed in my mind. Stand up. The words came from inside me, but had an authority my thoughts had never had. I came to the stupendous certainty. George, you're in the presence of the Son of God. This person was power itself, fused together with an unconditional love, an astonishing love, a love beyond my wildest imagining. This love knew every thought, everything about me, the quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts I could never keep under control, every mean, selfish action since the day I was born. And he accepted me and loved me just the same. And when I say he knew everything about me, that's simply an observable fact, George said. And he described how before his eyes, simultaneously, every episode and every action of his life was portrayed. It just opened up as windows, and he saw everything all at once. Every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. Now remember, he's talking about a life review. He's not talking about the judgment that all of us will stand before Christ. And he, asked, he, he, he was asked a question by this being in light. What have you done with your life that you can show me? And instantly, George Ritchie knew that he was being asked, how much had he actually loved? Had he loved others like he had loved him? Totally, unconditionally. And Ritchie said to himself, because remember, this is all inside his head, why had I not known love like this was possible? And he thought quite indignantly, someone should have told me, a fine time to discover what life's all about. And the voice said, I did tell you. And Richie said he tried to justify himself then. How did you tell me? I never heard. And the voice said, I told you by the life that you lived, that I lived. And I told you by the death that I died. Now, his account, George's account, goes on for a lot more. He, there was much, much more. And he, he writes just a sort of summary thing I'll, I'll give you. He said, I saw beauty surpassing Earth's best vacation spots. People alive and active in a world not unlike ours, yet so infused with such exhilarating love and purpose and friendship that it made, made Earth seem like a shadow of the real to come. And you'll find that when you read accounts, often they'll say, Earth is like a shadow. What's there is the real. 
And best of all, George says, from my moment of darkest loneliness, the light of Jesus had entered my life and filled it completely. And the idea of being separated from him was more than I could bear. I didn't want to go back. But after being clinically dead for nine minutes, he found himself back in his body with a sheet over his head and a little uh, tag saying dead, <laughs> which apparently he kept all his life and show it at every time that he spoke. Look, this is the proof. The doctors signed me out. So what's a typical scenario that you find when you're reading these books? I want to I thank uh, Glenda um, uh, Rattray for uh, introducing me to, to the material that I'm using here. If you want to read ahead and, and just get interested in this, um, the book Imagine Heaven has a lot of the material that I'm using, um, and uh, it's read by John Burke. Uh, sorry, written by John Burke. So you can, you can get that from, from Mana. But a typical scenario would be this, an out-of-body experience, a separation of consciousness from the physical body, a heightening of senses. A and, and people say that they, when they, they, they're in that state, they're more conscious, they're more alert than they've ever been in their life. And people are able to tell details of operations and things that doctors said and things that paramedics did and what they were wearing and it's all when you read that and and the people the paramedics and the doctors are saying yeah yeah that that was it that we that was what took place um, it's compelling evidence um, when they give those sort of precise details and it gives weight to the otherworldly things that they're describing one case uh, that i read about was a man entered hospital in a comatose state and in surgery, the doctors had to remove his dentures. So they took them out, and a nurse saw the doctor with the dentures in hand, took them out of the doctor's hand, and went over to a cabinet and put them into a drawer and shut the drawer. And when a week later this man recovered, the dentures were missing. No one knew what had happened to them. And then later in his recovery, he saw that nurse as she was part of the area where he was eventually, and he was able to say, hey, you were there for the operation. You took the dentures and you put them in the drawer. And she goes, oh, yes, I know where those are. She went and got them and gave them back to him. <laughs> and then there's intense, they, they speak of intense emotion. Um, people speak of incredible peace, amazing waves of love. Or if it involves hell, they speak of the exact opposite of that. Often it will involve passing through a tunnel. Um, just go on to the next slide. Uh, sometimes it's in bright white light. Other times it's described in darkness, a black tunnel. And then they'll come out into another realm. Uh, just another slide. Um, that, that's just otherworldly. It's like the earth, but it's different to the earth. And they'll encounter a brilliant light, a person clothed in light. And again, um, that was the best I could find. And then they'll speak of encountering um, uh, other beings, angels, or, or meeting with family who've died, or friends who've passed on before they had died, and, and being greeted by them. And there's a sense of time and space altering for the person. And, and so some people will have this huge experience, and yet they're only dead for nine minutes. But what they... See, the thing is, if we think of time as being as being on a, a, a continuum, here, starting, ending, eternity is like a you that touches time. It takes you completely out of time. So time bends. 
a life review, and they'll speak of learning and seeing new things and communicating through telepathy just by thought, moving in the same way as well, and then encountering some barrier. Mo almost all stories will have a barrier that if they step through the gates or they step over whatever the barrier is, there is no going back. They are dead, dead. They're not going anywhere back. But up until that time, and that's why they speak of near-death experiences instead of returning from the dead as the way of saying it. Because up until that barrier point, clearly some are able to return. And often they'll be asked things. I remember the first person I ever heard talk about his experience of being asked. Um, I, his name, Ian McCormick. And Ian's standing there and describing what it's like and the barrier. And the barrier was Jesus himself. And Jesus' center opened up like a door because he did say, I am the door. And so that's the imagery he has. And he knows that if he goes through and he looks back and he sees his mother praying for him. He sees her in some sort of dream sort of situation. She's praying for him. And he thinks to himself, if I step into eternity, which he wanted to, my mother will never know that her prayers made the difference. And he says, no, I want to go back. We'll share some more on that another time. But I want us to join the dots here because this research has been around for years and years and years. I started reading about this in the 80s. These accounts verify the truth and the authenticity of the Bible as the Word of God. That's what's so cool about it. The Bible has always said that we will die physically, yet we will continue to exist because we are eternal. And the Bible has always used the imagery of light to describe God, often as a metaphor, but it also says that light is his nature, his being, or his form. Let me just remind you of some scriptures about this. John chapter 1, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then this incredible statement that just locks up human beings in so many situations. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed, and this is, the, this is folk who've, who've come to know Jesus Christ, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or pain, uh, plan, but a birth that comes from God. Man, isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> that we can be reborn. We can have a relationship with this one who will take us on into heaven. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And then that amazing passage in Revelation that just spells the whole thing out so well. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What's he talking about? He's talking about light. 
And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in robes, a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blaze of fire, light just emanating out of Jesus. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, light the whole being from top to toe, glowing um, light uh, emanating from him. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. What's it saying? It's saying coming out of the palms of his right hand was so much light, it was like seven stars just put in together. Amazing stuff. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. So when people are telling stories, I mean, I was talking with someone um, a little while back and, and, and we were talking about, is there life after death? And I just felt to say to him, have you ever died? And he said to me, well, yes, I did. And he told me his story of coming out of his body. And I started to laugh and I said, you already know, you already know that it carries on, that death is not the end. And so when people come and they, and they tell you, that, or you read of stories and they run into a being of light, hello, the Bible's always said that. And then they run into this, they tell us that they run into this being with immense love. And, and he's so loving, every near-death experience says that they never, ever wanted to leave his presence because they're wrapped in love, they're bathed in love, there's waves of love coming over them, and they've never felt so good in their entire life. And that's exactly what God's message for millennia has been. John 3.16, For God so loved the whole world. It's not... It's not trite. This is telling us it's true, these experiences. Telling us it's true in another way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us, because God is love. You know, Sandra's father is 87 years of age, and we were having breakfast with him um, a couple of months ago. And, and he started telling us a story, and he said he was lying on his bed, and then all of a sudden, a presence came into his room. He's a, he's a lovely Christian man, he just strong faith, but very little experience, experientially, of the Holy Spirit's work and, and, and supernatural things taking place. But he said, I was lying on my bed, and a presence came into my room. And he said it was just the most amazing feeling of love and it grew stronger and it grew stronger and it grew stronger. And he said, I'm lying there, I don't ever want it to, to finish. And he said, I know what it is, I'm going to heaven, I'm dying. This is, this is it, I'm, I'm going. And he's just enjoying the God's presence of love just all over him. And then he said, and then it began to dissipate and leave and get weaker and weaker and weaker. We're sitting there going, listening to him speak. And he said, sadly, I'm still here. But I know what's there because of an experience that, he, that happened to him. I want to show a video clip as we, as we close now. Um, and just before we put it up, I'll, I'll just say one or two things that aren't mentioned um, 
there. It's, it's about Don Piper. He was killed, um, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, he's a pastor. He was a pastor coming home from a pastor's conference, so there's no guarantees for anybody. When, when death comes, it comes. And he was dead for one and a half hours. And uh, while he was there, other pastors coming from the conference, a friend of his came, and he felt compelled by God to park the car, get out, find out who it is, go pray for him. He realizes it's Don. So he, he gets permission from the paramedics to, to get into the, to go and pray for him. He gets under the tarpaulin and he starts praying for him. And it, from the way it reads and the way he talks, it sounds like he was praying for a long, long time. Maybe he was praying for an hour. He prayed for everything that he could possibly think about. And then, and then he just starts singing. And he's singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And Don starts singing with him. He comes back to life and he starts singing. So this friend extracts himself as fast as he can. And now he has to convince the paramedics that this man who's been dead for an hour and a half is alive. And they've got to send, they've got to look after him and get him to hospital as, as fast as they possibly can. And he had a real difficulty. And they just would not believe. No, no, not, not even going to go over. And, and eventually it was the singing. He said, go. You, he's singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, and you will hear him. And they went, and the ambulances were called. Let's just watch.
Thanks, Bradley. We'll just leave it there. You know, Paul said we get incredibly confident when we have a focus on heaven. Um, because we can live confident lives because we know where we're going. You know, no matter what happens, the end is a great end for every single one of us. But we can also live lives really well because we know there's an accountability and there's a reward for all that we do. And there's also a motivation to be able to share Christ with other people because we know what our eternal destinies are. And we want to see as many people in heaven as we possibly, possibly can. You know, just as I finish, can the band come up, please? But I don't believe the best way to get saved is through fear. The Bible tells us that it's God's love and God's kindness that leads us to repentance, where we want to turn away from our sin we do that because of the incredible goodness that God has for us. And I want to say to you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the God who created the world is so interested in spending eternity with you 
in heaven, that he came himself to take the punishment that you are due and the effects of the poison of sin around your life upon himself. You see, you and I, we were totally stuck. As human beings, there is absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves perfect. And God is both just and merciful. And to be just, it means that there have to be consequences for the wrong things that people do in this life. Right up to the grade of Hitler, it is not just for someone just to be forgiven because there's a merciful God. God carries mercy and justice in his own being. And so in his desire to be merciful to people like you and like me, he had to find a way to deal with justice. And no human being could bear the punishment. So he decided he would bear his own punishment. And he punished himself. And we know that God, who is Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus, came and died on a cross so that God would be able to extend mercy to any who say, I want to know him. And God wants a relationship with you and me for eternity. He wants a forever relationship. And he asks us simply to respond to the goodness that he has already done for us and say, God, I, I, I need forgiveness. I too am a sinner. I want to be part of your family. I want the forever of life with you. Can we just have every head bowed just for a brief moment? And if what I'm saying makes sense to you, and you'll know it makes sense because not only is the thinking part of your brain engaged, but at a heart level, there's a, an intensity, there's something going on within you. And I want to say to you, it's the Spirit of God knocking on your heart, wanting you to come into relationship with Him. All you need to do is acknowledge that you are a sinful person like all the rest of us and ask for forgiveness, ask for His mercy, and He will forgive you and he will give you a brand new start and take you into a relationship with him. He will come into your very life and live on the inside of you. And if you want to have that kind of start, I just want to ask you to let me know in some way. Probably the easiest way is just to raise your hand and wave it at me. And I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to lead you in a prayer that almost everyone in this room has already prayed. We, I will show you how to give your life to Jesus Christ. So if you, if you want to surrender to him, if you want to give your life to him, if you want to acknowledge that he loves you enough to die for you, then just wave your hand at me right now. Okay, please look up, folks. Interesting topic, eh? We've got a couple more, and we'll come to it in, at a later stage again in the, in the year, maybe for a few, a few beyond the three that we're doing. But can I invite you to stand? And we're just going to worship God in a final song.